if you wanted to put a marketing plan that drives people to actually act, that's the commitment. All you need to do is define what are the marketing initiatives that you have under awareness? What are the marketing initiatives that you have under preference, under trial, and under commitment? The Video Presenter Show. Show what you know. Learn from experts how to transform words into great video presentations. The Video Presenter Show. Hello, welcome to the Video Presenter Show by BigView. We are here to help you transform words into impact by being the best presenter you can be. Learn valuable tips and tricks from public speakers and experts in communication, how to get your messages across more efficiently. Receive advice on everything from storytelling to social media marketing. It's time to take your presentations to the next level. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new workshop. I'm very, very excited to host this workshop with you because today we're going to learn about how to grow your business with video. And I'm sure we, all of you are very excited to know how. And especially, we have a very, very good host with us and speaker, Ronald Craig. He has helped hundreds of companies, organizations, individuals actually grow their business. And he's going to show us how. So, Randall, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm Randall Craig. Here's my question for you. Have you spent a ton of your time producing content and engaging on social media and have a sneaking suspicion that you are not getting enough return on that investment? Or perhaps you're thinking about making that investment, but just want to make sure that you're doing what will actually drive results. Most successful experts, advisors, professionals, leaders can figure out the answers, but too often they don't know the right questions to ask. In today's workshop, I'll be sharing some of my pivotal frameworks that can help with this. And that's why I've entitled this workshop, Cheap, Smart, or Trusted, Growing Your Business with Video. So let's just hop in. I've got some bad news for you. Your clients and prospects don't care for you. They only care about how you can solve their problem. Now, you know, so often we think if we just I don't know, whatever, they'll just like us and, and they're going to buy from us. No, they don't care about us. They only care about how we can solve the problem. So the question really is, well, how do they decide to buy from you? And how do you actually compete? So I'd like to share uh, my first framework. I call it my price expertise trust one. And the idea is that every business competes on these three dimensions, price, and you know, if you want to increase the number of sales, if you will, you can reduce your price. That's a, an important lever, and some compete very much on this particular dimension. Others compete based on expertise. If I know the answer just that much better, if only I knew that answer so much better, well, guess what? They would come to me because I am the expert. And the third is trust. You know, if they trusted me, then it doesn't matter what I say. Of course, I, I'll be able to share the answer, but they'll come to me because I've got such a strong, trusting relationship. I think though that, you know, it's problematic because if we want to compete against other businesses, other individuals do, there's always somebody who could be cheaper, who can underprice whatever we have by just a little bit. It could be a different geography, somebody who's younger, not as much experience, but there's that price level. Somebody can always compete on that. Or it could be that somebody else has invested more in their own professional development. 
They're just a bit smarter than you or they're investing more and more and therefore they have more expertise than you. Well, so that's kind of tough. And trust, that's another one. Could it be that somebody has got a stronger trusting relationship with you? We're going to delve into that in a little bit, in a little bit. But I wanted to sort of think of, get you to think about price expertise trust in slightly different dimensions. And what that dimension is, is set price, think of value. Instead of expertise, think of being a thought leader. And instead of trust, think about being a trusted advisor. And let's put aside price and value for a moment. Because what I'd like to focus on in this presentation, obviously, is how we compete as a thought leader, how we compete as a trusted advisor, where does content all fit in within there? Now, I think it might be ego, but a lot of the clients I've worked with all over the world will say, well, of course I'm a thought leader. But when you sort of pull back the covers, it may be that they've got expertise, but they're not a thought leader, they're not differentiated. There's a range of knowledge with respect to capability, with respect to thought leadership, a very high level, very low. Same thing with trusted advisor. Of course, people trust me. But you know what? If I ask uh, somebody, well, do they trust you so much that, you know, you say no to many of the times they ask you for help because maybe there's somebody else who'd do a better job? Very often the answer is, well, no, no. If they came to me, of course, I'm going to serve them. Well, you know, a trusted leader always does what's best for the client, the prospect, has them first. And as a result, no matter what the need is, even if it's beyond your particular scope, they'll come to you. Now, of course, the benefit of that is that you can generate referrals to other people who will then refer people back to you. But I'd like you to think about thought leader and trusted advisor in this context. Why? Because it's not just a binary, yes, I am, no, I'm not. But there's a certain degree of grayness between them. And my question to you, and this is just an extension of the model, is are you a golfer, commodity, academic, or star? And what I mean by this is that is as following. Trusted advisor can go from low to high, low trust, high trust. A thought leader can go from a very low degree of thought leadership to a very high degree of thought leadership. And everybody's along that particular continuum as well. So if you're a commodity, that means you're not really a thought leader. You don't have much trust either. Obviously, that's not where we want to play. If you're playing there, the only way to win is via price. And that's just a race to the bottom. If you're a golfer, you're fantastic with respect to relationships. And people trust you intimately. But you're not really a thought leader. You're really not a thought leader. And as a result of that, we'll go to you, but you probably can't deliver everything that they've got. An academic is different. They're the smartest person in the room. They know everything, but they haven't yet developed that business trust, if you will, that perhaps the golfer did. And so the strategy for the academic is to become more of a trusted advisor as they reach up to stardom. The strategy for a golfer is to become more of a thought leader so that they can become a star. The star has it all. The star has it all. They're both a thought leader and they're a trusted advisor. And when they do that, boy, they've got it made. Okay, the marketing focus is more narrow, that the referrals come in, the degree of pain there is in the business development process is far, 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 far different. But they also have their challenges because it takes a lot of time and effort to become a star. Huge investment in yourself, frankly. You also have to keep it up both as a trusted advisor as well as your degree of thought leadership. So it's easy for other people to try and catch up to you, 
But the more and more you could differentiate yourself as a star, the more likely it is that you're going to grow a sustainable and thriving business. So, you know, when I say to you, what are you? There's no wrong answer. The question is, where do you want to be? Because that will give you some idea as to what your business development marketing strategy actually is. Okay, so that's the Gulliver Commodity Academic and Star. There's a bit of a problem with respect to trust that we haven't really explored yet. And I wanted to take you way, way back to the 1960s, which is like 60 years ago, and talk to you about a model that people still use today, strangely. It's called the 4P marketing model. You know, the theory goes, and this is just absolutely a breakthrough back in the 1960s, the theory goes that if you only figure out price, product, place, and promo, the four Ps, then you will have a marketing mix that will then guarantee success or something like that. And the problem is, is that these four Ps are missing a very important P, the person. Where's the client? Where's the prospect? They're not there. They're not in the model, right? It's just price, product, price, product. Like It's just stuff that is not directly related. And it misses completely the aspect of trust, which is pivotal to actually closing the sale. Years ago, about 20 years ago, we came up with this model, the trust curve, we call it, that says over time, trust increases. At the very beginning, they don't know who you are. They might not even recognize the problem. There's an awareness issue. Okay, and that's the first part of the trust curve. The second part, and by the way, the idea is, is that as the trust increases, eventually they have commitment. That's where they sign the contract or buy the product or buy the service. That's certainly when they start thinking about, can we refer this person or not? This is at the very beginning. You've, they've got to be aware that you exist. They've got to be aware that they've got a problem. The second is preference. How can you make them prefer you? You know, how do they prefer you over somebody else? Trial is kind of like a test drive. You know, they want to have, be able to taste the chocolate before they buy the box. And commitment is, yeah, I think they're the one. Yeah, I did test drive. Yeah, we're going to sign the contract. By the way, if you think about this in the context of a car, when was the last time you bought a car? Why did you buy it? Now, if you're thinking, you know, well, I needed a new one because the old one broke. Well, I needed a new one because the lease was up. Well, you know, I have family now and I have to get rid of the sports car and get a minivan. Whatever the reason, that is awareness. Then all of a sudden you're exposed to all kinds of stimulus. For example, like advertising or word of mouth from friends or a million other things. And you say, okay, I want that Toyota. That's preference. Trial is when you go to the dealership and you get in the car and you say, yeah, I like driving this around the block. This is a great vehicle. Indeed, that's trial. And commitment is when you actually sign the contract and eventually drive off with a car. So it doesn't really matter where things are. The trust curve measures the growth in the prospects or clients' trust until they actually commit. Now, for some of you who are more sophisticated in, in your marketing, I'm going to boil this down very, 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 very quickly to say, if you wanted to put a marketing plan that drives people to actually act, that's the commitment, all you need to do is define what are the marketing initiatives that you have under awareness? What are the marketing initiatives that you have under preference, under trial, and under commitment? Oftentimes, marketing problems can be traced to too much awareness and too much commitment, but nothing under preference or trial. 
Or, gee, you've got lots of leads, awareness and preference, but you never close them. Well, that's bad trial and commitment. Or, for example, you've got very few leads coming in, but boy, when you got them, you can close them without a question 95% of the time. That means excellent, say, preference trial commitment, but terrible awareness or awareness preference. So that's essentially how the trust curves works. The marketing plan that underneath it is really no more different than what are the initiatives that drive people from awareness to preference? What are the initiatives that drive people from preference to trial? And what are the initiatives that drive people from trial to commitment? That's it. It's not really much more complex than that. Well, <laughs> I guess perhaps it is because, you know, we have a problem. Okay, they don't care about us. They only care about how we can solve their problem. And the question is, how can we get them to care about us? You know, how do we get them to know that we know about their problem? Well, guess what? The content demonstrates your expertise. If you can get them to consume your content, they'll say, aha, that person, Randall Craig, knows a lot about this. He could probably solve my problem. That's kind of awareness, isn't it? Or, you know, let's just say they're reading my blog every week or my podcast every week or my videos that, that, that come out every week. And they say, you know what? He's a trustworthy guy. What he says over time is actually very smart. Content demonstrates expertise. Content builds trust. And while it's true they may not care about me personally, they care about how I can solve their problem. And the content helps demonstrate it and builds the trust at the same time. But once again, there is something that's a problem. What kind of content? And so to answer that question, I would suggest that we could think about content as having a different role at different parts of the marketing cycle of, of the trust curve. And I call it, you know, tofu, mofu, bofu, and client content. Tofu content, by the way, it's not like a vegan treat kind of content. You know, it, you know, tofu might be, but tofu stands for top of funnel content. Mofu is middle of funnel. Bofu is bottom of funnel content. Client content is this right near the very end. And, you know, tofu content, that's content, you know, they're in research mode. You know, it's to generate awareness, but also of the problem itself. And the tofu content could be anything from blog posts to tweets to easy videos, checklists, that kind of thing. Mofu content, that's, they're determining whether you're the one or whether you're not the one. And mofu content can include more detailed white papers, for example, case studies for situations like theirs, more detailed videos, for example, that might build trust, like, excuse me, Bofu bottom of funnel content, at this point, they're looking to test drive you. So the content that's Bofu would include invitations to events, uh, webinars, webinar replays. It might be how videos, it could be anything that gets them in the door and gives them a chance to try you out in a certain sense. And client content, that's like the content that you might have that would be useful immediately post-commitment so they could see it beforehand and say, yeah, indeed, that would be a good experience. And it's really designed to set up a, you know, a long tail, higher confidence level so that there's more long tail benefit to that particular prospect, you know, through referrals or repeat purchases and so on. So there's all these different types of content that can help all these different types of marketing initiatives along the way. And, you know, if you're like most people, you're thinking, boy, this is painful. Because if we're talking about developing all this content, you know, it takes time. And in fact, what I'll suggest to you that content, it's also, and time is the elephant in the room. Who's got time to do it all? 
Well, you know, if that's your full-time job, maybe it is, but most experts, professionals, leaders kind of already have a day job. And yeah, they could delegate some of this to, to other people. It's very hard because you've got to do so, so, so much work. So what I'd like to do in the remainder of our time is I'd like to talk through, pardon me, several different ways that you could make a significant difference to the whole question of productivity in terms of content. And, you know, in our time today, we don't have so much time that we can go through every single thing, but the concepts, you know, as I said at the very beginning, great leaders, it's not that they don't have the answers, but sometimes they don't have the questions. And so hopefully these concepts will make sense to you. I'm sure some of you already have heard the words, but I want to give my particular take on it because it's made a significant difference. And I should say, you know, in terms of content, I've developed, what, over 600 articles, 37 white papers, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of video. Uh, you know, obviously I'm tweeting, I'm blogging, I've got uh, hundreds of uh, podcasts as well. So I wish I could say that, you know, this is theory, but it's actual fact it worked and it's worked for many of my clients over many, many, many years. So here's kind of how it works. If we think about repurpose and reusing, if you think one idea, one idea is worthy of three or four paragraphs, call it a blog post, you can come up with a whole bunch of individual blog posts. Now I've labeled them A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, but every single one of them is an individual blog post. Maybe it's three, five paragraphs. Maybe it's a, a couple of paragraphs and a bunch of bullets and a final paragraph. But, but whatever it is, it's focused on one particular idea. I should say that it probably makes sense that this is stuff that will last a long time. So, for example, if you decide to do a blog on the economic analysis of today, just today, tomorrow it's going to be out of date. So you want to make the blog post things that deal with concepts, deal with things that would be helpful over the longer time that's not immediately dated. Okay, you can always intersperse timely topics, but it's very hard to repurpose them uh, fully if they're so tightly time bound. Okay, so you've got all these different blog posts. Once you've got the blog posts, then you could say, okay, what am I going to do with it? Well, the obvious is you could take certain selected ones and you could make videos. You know, whether they're 10, 15 minute videos or five minute videos, whatever particular works based on the particular topic. Then what you say, well, what else can I do with these ideas that came up in the blog post? Well, what I can do is I can make some webinars. I could bind two ideas, idea A and D, for example, or A and F or G and L, and then I could do a webinar on that combined topic. They say that you can make money at the intersections. So at the intersection of two topics, A and D, for example, there's probably some interesting things you could say. That's where the webinars might come from. Now, then you can say, what comes next? Because of course there is a next. Okay, you can say, well, what if I took four of those blog posts or five of them and I made those into a white paper, maybe four to eight pages, a deeper exploration on those topics, but based on the thinking you did for the blog posts at the very beginning. And then you could take these white papers and you could actually put them together a book, each white paper in a certain sense, because you're an expert on one particular thing. Each of those white papers would be related enough that you can bind them together into a book, having however many chapters that there are white papers, and then you can publish it. Now, some of you may actually have a book already. Well, you can go the other way. You could divide it into white papers. You could take the individual white papers and you could make them into videos, into webinars, into blog posts, right? For some of you, you're very big into video. Well, can you take the videos and slice those up? Some of you are very big into webinars. Well, what can you do about doing something with them? 
I wanted to share though, but what you can do just with video, because you know, obviously I'm a big fan of Big View. This is what you can do. You can take that video that you've got, right? It's a good video, but it's just one video. You can actually bring it, put it together and make a compilation, you know, three segments. So instead of one five minute video, one five minute, one five, maybe it's one 15 minutes. Instead of a 15 minute video, maybe 45 minutes with something in between that you might put. Think about a variety show with different segments, for example, but all related to one whole. So that's a video compilation. What else can you do? Well, you can slice it up. And if you slice it up into these little segments, you can re-edit it for something like TikTok or just put it up on YouTube or put it on your website or, or within your blog and use these individual segments, okay? The other thing you can do is you can say, well, maybe you could strip the audio out and you could use that, for example, as a podcast. By the way, you could use videos as a video podcast as well. But once you've got that, all of a sudden that one video can be used in a whole bunch of different ways, but it doesn't stop there. You can start to say, well, maybe I can move from video back to the written word. Maybe I could change the video and make that into a white paper. Maybe I could take the uh, short slice segments and maybe each one of those becomes a blog post in and of itself. Maybe you could take the stripped audio and the podcast and you could create the transcript, which you load in as a description, for example, which helps with SEO. There's all kinds of different ways that you can start to use your content in a way that makes it a lot easier. And thankfully, a lot of the things that I'm describing now are things that once the idea comes out, then you could delegate some of the production, if you will, to other people. Okay, so that was the big, big idea that I hope uh, resonated with you. And even if you're doing content in a substantive way right now, you can rethink about how you repurpose things based on the formats that are available and that are of interest to your particular audience. Okay, so when I say, you know, golfer, commodity, academic, or star, you know, as I said earlier, it's really not where you are now, but what you aspire to. Even if you're in the star category, you think you're in the star, how can you become more of a star? Because when you're building a business and you're only using price or value, it is very, very difficult, very difficult to say, how do I develop a sustainable difference that isn't a race to the bottom? And so to build a business, you really do need to be in that trusted advisor and thought leadership quadrant, right at that very top right corner. Now, it's true for some businesses because there's so many different people with different businesses watching this particular video, how I would describe and work with, for example, somebody who's running a law firm or a consulting or accounting firm or an agency is vastly different than somebody who's in retail or somebody who's selling information products or any other type of business. But I have to tell you, there is something here that too often people forget about, but it's so obviously a longer term benefit. And don't forget, I'm not talking about using this to sell because it's how do you bring people to you? How to let your reputation attract people to you? The inbound marketing part of it, not just the outbound sales part of it. So building your business does equal becoming a star and becoming a star therefore would help actually build your business. So. We're closing in on the end part, but what we're looking here is what I call the low-hanging fruit, in this case, a few apples. And I put this here because you could listen to a speaker like myself speak for hours, in fact, or even just 30 minutes and ask yourself, okay, so what did I get out of it? The answer is, yeah, you might get some nice concept, but unless you're going to translate it into action, unless you're actually going to do something about it, 
you know, we've been all wasting our time. So the low hanging fruit is my really my challenge to you. What is the one thing that you've actually gotten out of today that you could actually do something with? So, you know, is it a question of saying price expertise, trust? Where am I on that? You know, how am I using each of these levers? Am I cheap, smart, or trusted? And what makes sense? What do I aspire to actually do? The idea of using the trust curve as a mechanism to grow your business, awareness, preference, trial, commitment. And in terms of that one activity, yeah, you got the concept, but wouldn't it be an interesting thing to say, hey, out of all the things I'm doing right now, what are the awareness, preference, trial, and commitment activities that I'm doing initiatives? What are they? Are they working? What's the content, okay, the tofu, mofu, bufu, and client contact that I'm actually doing? And finally, what am I? Am I a commodity, golfer, academic, or star, right? And not what I think I am right now, but what does the market think I am? And where do I aspire to be? What do I actually physically need to do to move up to that star category? And finally, there's the question of how you use the content that you're producing right now. Have a whole bunch of blog posts, maybe it's time to do video. Have a whole bunch of white papers, maybe it's time to do a book, or maybe it's time to slice it into webinars or slice it into videos. So what is it specifically from a content plan that you can actually do today? All right. Thank you very much. So goodbye, everyone. The Video Presenter Show is an interactive space for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and anyone who wants to improve their presentation skills. Big View is your TV studio in your pocket. The Video Presenter Show. Show what you know. Learn from experts how to transform words into great video presentations. The Video Presenter Show.